I got good news. Jesus is king. It ain't Barack Obama. It ain't Joe Biden. It ain't Donald Trump. It's Jesus. And he wins. He wins, and the question is, do you win with him? We've got to be on the winning side of things. <clears throat> you know, I grew up a, a very poor kid. Um, food stamps, uh, apartment projects, uh, meal plans at school, um, the whole the whole deal couldn't we wore dollar store shoes and dollar store clothing and if we got to go to Walmart that was a big deal. Um, grew up around some of the evilest people still to date that I know and they were my family. Um, and the friends that we we had that were my family's friends, uh, they would do things like. We would get our food stamps and we'd go to the grocery and we would get our food in our house and we would go somewhere and we'd come back and they'd broken our house and stole all of our food. Those are the kind of friends I grew up with. And my mom uh, and dad separated at it when I was at a young age and my mom started dating um, alcoholics because she came from an alcoholic background, not her herself. But uh, my grandfather on her side was a bootlegger and was the biggest one in about six to ten counties, depending on who you ask. Uh, when you said his name, people would run in fear because they knew what he stood for. Uh, there was a, a road in the, in the county where my mother lived, and, and I don't mean any offense by this when I say it at all, but they, they called it, even the people who lived there, they called it Colored Hill. And this is where the African-American people lived. They just decided all to live on this road. And it was a bad town, and, and you knew that if you was not African-American, you did not drive down this road. Now, it went to, from one main road to another main road. And I remember one day my mom drove up it. I don't know why. I don't know why she drove up it, but she did. And she had the window down, and about halfway up it, one of the biggest men I'd ever seen in my life wrenched through the window and grabbed the steering wheel. And... She, you don't go very fast because there's lots of kids on the road. And so we, we knew this. So she was going slow enough. And this, this guy retching and he grabbed a hold of the steering wheel and started turning it to pull her off the side of the road. And this was the day that I learned the power of my grandfather's name. Because she looked at that man and said, do you know who my daddy is? Now he's rude and crude. So he said, who's your daddy? And when she said my grandfather's name, this man let go of the steering wheel and ran. And I understood in that moment that there was power in the name of my grandfather. And I didn't fully understand why, and as years went on, I found out why, because he killed people. He would murder you if you owed him $40 and didn't pay it in a certain amount of time. My stories in the morning, eating cereal, waiting to go to school, sometimes was hearing my uncles talk about hanging people in garages because they owed money. 
This was the lifestyle that I grew up in. My my mother then would would start dating um, all these alcoholics and drug addicts and different things. And she never, she never, from what I remember, I never seen her partake in these things. But from the father that raised her, she dated men like him. And they would hit on me and they would say mean things to me. And then one day I learned the power of my uncle's name. And then I learned not to tell my uncle things because this one man driving down the road told me he was going to shove my head into the windshield. And I was a punk kid, 10, 11 years old, and I said, do it. Well, he did it. I didn't mention that to one of my uncles who proceeded to go up to this man's house and chase him around the trailer for hours and then caught him and almost killed him just because he did that. And I remember my dad, he lived um, just maybe 10 houses from a Baptist church. And so I would go and be with my mom and I would be a part of all of these things and all of this stuff going on. And I wasn't free from sin myself. I just didn't touch the drugs and the alcohol at this point. Now, alcohol got me later. But then Jesus got me after that. But I remember that my life on my mother's side was such a living hell that when I would get to my dad's, it was two different worlds. He, he wasn't, my dad wasn't doing right in the eyes of what I know the gospel to be now, but he was way closer than my mother. And I remember that I would walk to this Baptist church starting at the age of eight because I felt peace there. That's all that I knew. I just knew there was peace. Uh, I wasn't religious. I didn't understand what was happening, what was going on. But I, I found a way to not choose what everyone said I would have chosen. I, I'm the guy that, if you look at my family, you would say, you're never going to make it. I'm the guy that if you knew the, the backstory on, on all of this, even more than what I'm telling you, and you seen me at a young age, you would have looked at me and probably had pity on me and said, he's not going to make it. He's going to end up in prison. He's going to end up dead. He's going to end up this, that, or the other, but not a preacher preaching the gospel. You would have never thought I would have made it. But then you'd have been wrong. But God. Say, but God. We're going to be in Philippians 3, and I'm really not going to take long this morning. I don't even know what my message would be this morning other than these scriptures are burning on me. They've been on me for three days and they won't get off of me, so I figure I might as well try to preach them. That must be what he's wanting. Paul says this to the Philippians. He said, my beloved friends in 17, this is in the Passion. My beloved friends, imitate my walk with God and follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled before you. 
For there are many who have lived by a different standards. As I've warned you many times, I weep as I write these words. They are enemies of the cross of the anointed one and doom awaits them. Their God has possessed them and made them mute. Their boast is in their shameful lifestyles and their minds are in the dirt. But we are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical likeness of His glorified body. And using His matchless power, He continually subdues everything to Himself. I want you to stand. I'm going to read it one more time. And this is going to be in the New King James Version. If you can stand, stand. New King James says, and I want you to let this saturate you, what Paul is saying. Brethren, join in following my example. And note, those who so walk as you have us for a pattern, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. If we go low, He will transform us to and into His glorious body. If we but will go low. Now, I don't think this is, well, brother, you can't call yourself a pastor because that's prideful. Well, brother, you can't tell everyone that you're good at basketball. That's prideful. No, what Paul, I believe, here is saying is you go lower than what the world is saying you should achieve. What the world has demanded that you should become and go after, if you'll choose less than that which is greater than that in the kingdom, He'll transform you. You can sit down. So when, when I get around other believers and they hear the way that I walk in faith, the way that I just believe for the unseen, The way that I worship and dance like a wild man. The way that I pray so loud. The way that I preach so loud. The way that I talk so loud. The way that I'm obsessed with Jesus and He's on my lips in every conversation. I get this more often than not. Not amongst you all because you are the, the right crowd, right? But amongst the wrong one, they'll say, brother, it doesn't take all of that. It doesn't take all of that. Well, someone has to be wrong. You understand that, right? Both can't be right. Somebody has to be wrong. 
Have you read the life of Paul? The next time you think somebody's extreme or it doesn't take all of that, then think about Paul and think, are they more extreme than Paul? Most often the answer is going to be no. And Paul says right here in 17, my beloved friends imitate my walk with God. Imitate it. Those that have kids, your kids imitate you. We watch our daughters play with baby dolls. And we know how they believe that we did it, discipline them by watching the way they discipline their babies. They'll say, shh, be quiet. It's time to be quiet. And then they'll say, I told you to be quiet. <laughs> they say, if you don't be quiet, you're going to get spanking. And then they get a spanking. They are imitating us. Maisie was sitting over here in a chair a while ago and she was sitting there and she didn't know what to do. So Brittany looked at her and told her worship. And she raised her hand and Maisie goes, she imitated her. Was she worshiping God? I don't know. But at least she was imitating someone that was. I believe that Paul's giving permission for us when we don't know what to do, find the most extreme version in the room and imitate them and by their faith you might get in. Amen, amen. Imitate them and you might get in. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about into the presence, into the glory. Like, you're not going to try to get into the presence and the glory once you're in heaven. It's going to engulf you and you'll never get out. Amen. But guess what? You don't have to live outside of it now. It can be experienced now. There'll be a new level. But the fullness of a level that can be experienced, you can experience it by following the things that is in your word. People ask me all the time, brother, how do you hear God that way? I just can't hear God that way. I don't understand how to hear God. What do I need to do to hear God? How do I hear God? I can't hear God. I can't hear Him. I don't know what He's saying. How do I know what He's saying? I'm just so confused. I'm so afraid. What if I miss God? I was laying in the prayer closet this morning listening to the Bible. And, and would you know that it came on and it told me how to hear God? It said, obey God and do His will and you shall hear His voice. Why well, do I obey God without His voice? Because it's in His Word. How do I know what His will is? It's in His Word. He's, saying, he's not saying you'll know my full and perfect will. He's saying obey the will that you already have. Obey what I've already given you. He's given you a Bible. This is where we come up with the phrase, when you want to know what God, God is saying, go back to what He said. If you're not hearing God, go back to what He said. And then figure out if you're doing what He said. Because if you're not already doing what He said, why would He give you new commands? My kids, again, they come to me. They're the perfect, they're the perfect thing to talk about when preaching. We'll be sitting at the dinner table. And they won't be done with the food yet. And they'll go, can we have dessert? No. How much more do I got to eat? <laughs> Two more bites of beef and three more things of broccoli. 
How much of the broccoli do I have to eat? Three more. How much? All of it. They don't get dessert until they finish what's already been given. Try this. You have a job. Your boss tells you to do something. Before you finish what he told you to do, go and ask him, hey, what else can I do? I didn't finish what you last gave me, but give me something new. Tell him that. See what he says. No, go finish what I told you to do. Finish it or go home is what he's going to tell you. Like, I'm paying you to do that. When you finish that, I'll then give you more. We know this. If you steward what's been given, he'll give you more. To steward is to either do it very well or to complete it very well. When you are doing it very well, He then may trust you with more before it's done because the completeness of what He's asking you to do might involve something else and you'll never see the completeness until you do what He's told you to do well so that He can give you the missing piece. We're always in a hurry. Like we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next, the next conference, the next service. How many churches can I go to? Which church do you go to? Well, brother, I go to this one over here and I go to this one over here and this one I go to on Tuesdays because they serve popcorn. You know when you tell me that, what I think? Get away from me. Bye. I don't, I don't, I don't have time for you. Like I, I'll give you... Seth, I might give you uh, Elva or Elizabeth and they can walk with you, but what they're going to tell you is pick one. Pick one. You're too divided. You're too divided. You're not submitted to anybody. You're not doing anything. You're not accomplishing anything. What you're doing is you're treating the church like it's a buffet and you're going to go eat where you want to eat when you want to eat it. And then if you don't want to eat there, you go somewhere else to eat. Knock it off. What is that? I think Todd, Todd White says, if the shoe fits, kick it off. That means if, if what I'm saying fits you, stop doing it. He can't move you to where he wants to take you until you get where he's already told you to be. And unless you're a missionary or a traveling minister, God did not tell you to jump from ministry to ministry to ministry, church to church to church. That's a vagabond spirit and we need to get it off of you. Quiet this morning. I ain't scared. My word says there's a righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. We can never move in power until we become devoted to something. Paul could have done anything. He was one of the most educated, one of the most well-versed on the law. He was rising in power among the Jewish leaders. He could have done anything when God picked him. But he allowed God to tell him that I called you to the Gentiles. And he began to go. 
He didn't say, well, I can, I can do this. I can go hang out with Peter for a little bit, and then I'm going to go hang out with James for a little bit, and I'm going to go hang out with John for a little bit. He said, no, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to do what God told me to do. Like Some of y'all are in Bible school. I'm, I'm, I, I love when y'all get to studying Paul and, and when, when his encounter takes place and, and he's taken back to the same place where Pentecost poured out and Peter stood and 3,000 become. And, and then just months later, Paul gets touched and gets transformed and he goes back to that same city and they believe he's too radical for them so they kick him out of the city. That's how quick the city had fallen backwards. Now, Paul could have got mad or he could have just realized, you know what, this ain't where God called me. If they ain't receiving him, it ain't where God called him. It doesn't mean the entire city's going to receive him. There has to be a remnant that will receive him. When they voted and kicked him out and sent him back home, that made him know, I need to spend a little bit more time alone with God and figure out where he wants me. And so he spent more time with God and a man came and got him. He said, hey, I know a city that needs you. God sent me to bring you. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. It indeed I also counted all things loss for the excellence, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, worthless, pointless. He's not talking about a knowledge of who Jesus is written about, but knowing Him intimately. He said, I have separated myself from everything that was keeping me from knowing Him. See, this is that extreme version that people don't understand. What do you mean? I remember when we, the Lord told me to get, give it all away is what He said. He said, get rid of it. I was making a lot of money. We had a house full of treasures, earthly ones, flat screen TVs, nice furniture. I mean, you name it, we had a big, huge above ground swimming pool with the wraparound deck that months later I took a razor blade to and just cut it open and threw it in the trash. We set it out on the lawn. Our neighbors were pastors. Across the street, they were pastors. I can't remember. It was a Christian church, I think. And they came over and they said, what are you doing? So we're giving it all away. You can't do that. You can't, you can't give it all away. No, no. God said, oh, you need to pray more. Are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. Do you want a TV? And they went back across the yard praying for us. Thinking we were wrong because we're too extreme. 
I believe that what Paul is trying to tell us right here, like whether God tells you to get rid of it or not, if it's worldly, get rid of it and watch how much closer it'll bring you to him because you ain't got anything to entertain you but him. This is why we're called the wilderness church because I believe the wilderness is a place and a position that we can remain in to where we have nothing but him. If he don't give it, we don't need it. Even as I say that, people in the room are working for things that God isn't giving you. You're giving it to yourself. And you're calling it God. Well, how do we figure out what we're supposed to get rid of and what we're supposed to keep? Does it bring you closer to Christ or not? If it doesn't really, not if you pretend and try to make it seem like it is, manipulate your thought pattern, that it does. If it don't, get rid of it. You know what you're going to find? An empty house. You know what that means? More room to dance and worship Jesus. You ain't got to worry about hitting your knee on a coffee table if you ain't got one. I don't have a coffee table. You ain't got to stump your toe on furniture that you don't have. You can't say you don't have room to have people over your house if all you got is a big table big enough to feed them. You can make room for what God wants if you'll get rid of what you want. I'm going to end with this. I told you it's not going to be long. I'm going to get get y'all done and out of here long enough to go sell some stuff and get rid of some stuff. (laughs) Go go overflow the goodwill. Lots of people wanting earthly treasures. Just go give it to goodwill and they'll resell it for you. You ain't even got to sell it. They'll sell it for you. They'll sell it for you. What to do with money? I don't care. You tell me they're a Christian organization. Okay. Whatever you want to believe, just get rid of it. Get rid of what's between you and God. Whatever's stopping you from stepping into intimacy with God, get rid of it. Paul said this in 12. He said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. What's Paul saying? He's saying, hold the line. Hold the line. You are never going to get to heaven and stand before Messiah and Him look at you and go... It just didn't really take all that. You were a little too extreme for me. You're going to hear that from a Savior that was naked on a cross. Blood pouring down. Nails in hands and feet. Hole inside. And Him saying, you went too far. It's never going to happen. Never. He'll never say it to you. He'll say, man, I've seen you being so extreme going after what I put before you. And for that, I'm pleased. And you'll get that smile. He will smile upon those that have decided to be extreme for Him. If the way I'm going after Christ doesn't make the Christian next to me nervous, then I'm not going hard enough. 
They should be nervous. I'm not talking about unruly and wild and crazy. I'm talking about undignified so that he can be magnified. I'm talking about an explosion of not knowing what to do with how worthy he is and what you feel inside that you look crazy and a fool to every Christian and every worldly person around you. You should be the person that no one wants to sit next to in church because you sling sweat on them during worship. Because they're going after it. Now again, yes, this comes back to heart posture. If you're doing it for attention, knock it off. But if you're doing it to magnify Him because you know how worthy He is and you don't know how else to tell Him but to be extreme in every area of every life, then do it. What are you, what are you doing today? I'm giving you permission that this is a house where you can be extreme for Jesus. But it's to magnify him, not you. If I find it magnifying you, I will ask you to sit down. I'm not scared to do that. I don't care if you get mad and you leave. We will press on. Paul's alone writing this. I will press on. He said, even if none of you come with me, I will press on. Jesus standing there when the three, however many you want to say, Leave him when he says, eating my flesh and drinking my blood. This is a hard saying. He turns to his disciples, the 12, and go, aren't you going to leave too? What was he saying? We missed this point. Jesus saying, I'm going to the cross even if you don't go with me. I'm just giving you privy to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Peter goes, where else would we go? I, I like to think that Peter said that there's no one more extreme than you. Like, you're doing the stuff. Like, when we find, go work for a carpenter that don't build anything. He's not a carpenter, he's just lazy. Like, why are we working under management that's not doing what the person in charge of them said they need to be doing? Like, we can disagree all day long praying in tongues, I don't care. Are you healing the sick? Are you winning souls? Are you discipling nations? Because if not, I don't want to work for you. I'm not going to work under you. I'm not even going to work beside you. Like, I don't care if you disagree praying in tongues. You're missing out on a powerful gift that is very vital. But if you tell me you don't believe healings for today, I don't have time for you. You tell me we shouldn't be out doing outreach? I don't have time for you. People come in because we do outreach and they think I'm an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. I can take you around evangelists. Those dudes are wackos. And I love them and we need them. But compared to me, the way all it is is souls, 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 souls. Like you go to a gas station with them and they preach the gospel to every single person and they'll get every one of them to say a prayer through fear or reality. They don't care. And I don't disagree with them. It's just not the way I operate. Like from their office, they don't care if Nehemiah has already said the prayer. They're getting him saved again today. Like you about to get saved now. 
Because I'm not going to stand before Jesus and him go, why didn't you tell Nehemiah about me? Well, I thought he already knew you. You thought. How'd you know? Because I asked him, he said he was saved. Well, did you spend any time with him to find out? No. Well, here's Nehemiah. Let's ask him. Let's bring him up here and look at his life. Nehemiah, I'm sorry, but you don't get in. And then Jesus goes, you get in. But you should have told him. You live for me, you love me, but you miss this one. Because of pride. Because of selfishness. Because of fear. Because you thought he was saved. Now see, those are, that's evangelism. That's evangelist. That's the way they burn. And we need them. But we also need apostolic leaders and prophetic leaders and pastors and teachers that are saying, let's go on outreach. Let's go preach the gospel to the city that everybody says they're saved in. And when they say it, let's press them for it and see if they really are. And if they're not, instead of inviting them to a church, invite them to Jesus. Stop trying to grow a church. Grow His. I don't care where they go. I just want them to go somewhere. If you don't have someone to love on you, I got someone that will. You don't have someone to do a Bible study with you, I got someone that will. You don't want to be a part of this? Guess what? We will press on without you. We're going to keep going. And it's not that I have already attained it, it's not that I've found perfection. But I've decided to press on. That I may lay hold. Why do I press on? That I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Let me, let me read it to you like this so y'all can understand what he's saying. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing. He said, I can see the absolute fullness, but I haven't got there yet. And I'm not trying to pretend like that I have. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I get this question a lot when I travel and what is the one thing that you, if you, you could think that Jesus could give the body of Christ that they would be better? And people say, love, love, give them love. Okay. But love will last for a moment because they have to decide to continue to love. Because if he gives you love, like he's already given you, like what's the number one thing Christ gave body? Love. He already gave it to you on the cross. You choose to not walk in it. Here's what I say. Discipline. Discipline. Because if I can install discipline in your life, in every aspect, fasting, prayer, workouts, all this stuff, you will press on. 
It don't matter if your husband dies. It don't matter if your wife dies. It don't matter if your children die. It don't matter if your best friend dies. It don't matter if you lose your legs. It don't matter if you lose your arms. It don't matter if you lose your sight. It don't matter if you lose your hearing. It don't matter what you lose. If you're disciplined in pursuing Christ, you will press on. Discipline. Discipline is something that the American church does not have. Discipline will make you submit. Because you understand that I need to grab hold of something until that something that I grab hold of grabs a hold of me. You need to start asking God, where do you want me? Where do I need to submit? What leaders do I need to be under? Hear Him speak Submit to that one, get under it, and grab a hold of it. Brother Andrew, I want to I be like you. I want to walk like you. I want to be in intimacy with Jesus like you. Okay, well, come spend some time. They come spend one week. It just ain't happening. What's going on? Well, you think in a week it's going to happen? You're a non-committal. Like you spent one week and the entire week you were thinking about how you were going to get out from underneath me to go be somewhere else. You like my kids at the dinner table. They're just eating their beef to get the sweet. They don't want the beef. They don't want to submit to the entree. They just want the dessert. And then after dessert, they're thinking about snack. Like, it's always the next thing minded. Discipline is one thing minded. It's this in front of me. This is all that exists. I think this is, this is what we find with David. When everyone else is talking about Saul and how horrible of a leader he is, David goes, I'm one thing minded. Like, what are you talking about? He's evil and you're trying to get me to talk about him. I won't talk about him. I'm under him. I'm submitted to him. God's not released me from the submission. I don't care if he's wrong. He's going to be judged for being wrong. I'm being judged on my submittedness to him. God's watching me for my obedience and my ability or inability to speak good or bad about him. And I'm going to be judged according to that, not his actions. His actions does not release you from what God said. Only God can release you from what God said. The young man comes to him and says, I killed him. He says, how was you able to do that? How are you that brave? Like he was so one thing minded that he didn't even see this man is not submitted to Saul. Like he thought everyone submitted this way. Everyone operates this way. And no one will be the way that you are unless they deserve death. So that's what I'm going to give you. Kill him. The church don't walk in power in America because they lack discipline to submit to the authorial leaders that God has told them to come under. Well, he's a horrible person. Well, did God ask you if he was horrible? Or did he tell you to submit? Well, the moment you think that they're bad, you think God changed his mind, but you didn't hear God speak the same way that he spoke to you when he told you to submit. God is faithful to remove you. If we're talking about evil, David should have lost the kingdom. But God never removed his hand from him. He removed his voice for a season, but he never removed his hand. 
He never gave permission for people to step out from underneath him being king. He said, you asked for a king, I gave you one, and here's the right one. Now look, the right one's even making mistakes. Can you say submitted to him because of what I've said, not what he's doing? That's the same thing you do with this. You'll follow it till you find something you don't like, and then you omit it. But he never gave you the right to have a permission. He said, if you're my beloved, you'll keep my commands. Not some of them, not a portion of them, all of them. You will obey everything in here. And the moment you don't, you're saying you don't love me. We got to be decided. It's not that I'm wild and I'm crazy that makes people nervous around me. It's that I'm decided and they're not. They're not decided. They're wavering. When you put someone that's wavering around someone that's unwavering, Solomon can tell me that he goes to the gym 10 days a week. All he wants. Number one, ain't 10 days in a week, so you're already lying to me. <laughs> but he can say it all that he wants. But if I know Sean really does it, I can put them side by side and go, hey, Sean, you know he goes to the gym too? Same amount of days you do. Sean look at him and he goes, no, he don't. He's lying. See, Solomon will never want to get around Sean because Sean will show that Solomon's lying. But someone that wants to step into the freedom and stop lying will find a Sean and get around him. And say, look, I, I know I lie. I know I'm struggling with this. And I'm going to do it right in front of you. But I need you to be there to say, bro, that's a lie. Knock it off. See, this is what I did in my childhood, getting back to the story and closing. I was surrounded by alcoholics and drug addicts, abusers, people that had been in and out of prison, murderers. And I seen their life and I said, no, that is not for me. And at eight years old, you can do this. I promise you, you can, at eight years old, I made a decision as an eight-year-old to go to a church and get around people that were living more right than what I was surrounded by. I said, this can't be right. Look at, look at all the pain. Look at all the suffering. Look at how afraid I am when I'm around these people. This is not love. But I heard about church. Let's go check it out. And I remember when the first time, I'll never forget when I walked in them doors at eight years old, walked down. And an older man greeted me and said, we're so glad you're here. Whether he meant it or not, I don't know, but I felt loved because it was more than what I was receiving. I said, these are the kind of people that I need to get around. I need to get around people that are different than what I'm around right now. And I not only need to get around them, but I need to submit under them. Now, I didn't have this terminology then, but I understood that every time I was at my dad's, I was going to this church, listening to these people, and trying to apply it in my life the best that I could as a kid. Alcohol still got me. But Jesus never left me. He never left me because I was choosing to press on 
Even when I was an alcoholic, I would go to church. I would repent of drinking alcohol. I would ask him to help me get off of it and to stop. When I was sleeping with women, so many, I would say, God, just send me one that won't. Raise your hand, Brittany. She wouldn't. I said, God, if you'll send me one that won't sleep with me the first night, I'll marry her and I'll stop it all. Because I wanted something different. I didn't want to marry a woman that would sleep with me the first time she met me. Now I would use her for a night because she's using me for a night. But I was longing and asking for the right people to come into my life and the wrong people to be extinguished out of it. But you all get too attached to people and you're dragging deadness around with you. And deadness doesn't mean that they're in sin. It just means God's done with them in your life right now. Move into what He's told you to move into and stop hanging on to what's dead and dumb because it'll make you dead and dumb. Grab a hold of something alive. And again, alive, just because you're stepping out of where they're at doesn't mean they're dead and dumb. It means you're dead and dumb to stay next to what is dead and dumb compared to where God's trying to take you. You understand? My dogs will kill things and they'll bury it and then they'll dig it up and they'll roll in it and they wonder why they stink. <laughs> if it's dead, stop, stop bringing it up. Stop hanging around with it. Stop wallering in it. We're not talking about sinful things right now that we can, we can apply this there. But I'm talking about positional realities that God has moved you out of and you're wondering why you're struggling because He told you get out and you just won't listen. They'll continue to press on in the area of which they're pressing on, but you need to press on where God's telling you to go. You need to decide to come and submit and be under somebody until either God Himself speaks to you so clearly, but guess, let me tell you this too. God will never speak to you to come outside of authority without speaking to the authority first. So all those leaders that you stepped out from underneath, when you went to them and told them, I'm submitting to you and God told me to submit to you. And then you come to them and say, well, God told us it's, told us it's the end of our season. And the pastor's looking at you like, what? Guess what? You're wrong. Simply, you're wrong. You're wrong. It don't matter how corrupt that pastor is. God is bigger than him. And if God wants you removed from that situation, God will speak to that man or that woman in such a way He'll scare them into letting you go. You stay submitted till it happens. God will count it as righteousness. Everybody stand. I could preach for another week, but we're going to stop. Lord Jesus, I've done all I know I can do, Lord. I pray that you would just have mercy on us, Lord. That you would install discipline into our lives, Lord. If anyone in this room doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, now's their time to come forward and to know you as their Lord and Savior. I would love to pray with them. This is their opportunity to be that way. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for longevity. I thank you for committedness coming upon these people in this room, Lord. Wherever it might be that you called them, Lord, that they would get there and they would get there quickly and they would stay until you remove them. I pray the vagabond spirit off the American church in Jesus' name. 
that people would get submitted and committed and become a part of something bigger than themselves and allow the problems in their life to be worked off of them because they came under where God told them to be. Breathe your fire upon us, Lord. Help us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.